You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash Thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash Thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Vladimir Gendelman, and he is founder and CEO of Company Folders. We're going to learn about his business, about his journey as an entrepreneur. He's also an EO member, so I know I've got a lot of EO member friends on the uh, audience here listening in. Longtime EO member myself, so I'm always excited to connect with fellow EOers. We're going to learn a little bit more about how he's taken Company Folders, grown it, scaled it. We're going to talk about how service has played a part in his strategy and his success with that. Vladimir, welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Bruce. Pleasure to be here. So why don't we talk a little bit about your kind of backstory? What was your professional experience? How did you get into the business? Have you always been an entrepreneur? Were you selling uh, things in grade school? I always like to hear people's kind of entrepreneurial journeys. And then we can talk about the business and what you've learned strategically. So what's the story? What, how did you start as an entrepreneur? Well, <laughs> it's a big loaded question. Um, so... In my family, there are no entrepreneurs. Uh Both of my parents are doctors and my grandparents are doctors and lawyers and actually uh, professors as well. And the only message I was getting from my mom since I was a kid is that we are not entrepreneurs. We cannot do entrepreneurial things. Every time we tried, we lost money. Interesting. So go to school, get education, become doctor or a lawyer, and you're good. However... Ever since I was a kid, I was really different from the rest of the family. And I mean, my parents and grandparents, because I'm the only child, in a sense that I always challenged the status quo. Mm -hmm. I never conformed to anything, school including. And I always tried to make a deal somehow, somewhere. So you asked grade school and all. So I grew up in Soviet Union. And uh, Mm -hmm. probably the first thing I can remember is there used to be a group called Modern Token. They were German group. Okay. And... Their music was really, really popular. And obviously their posters and photographs were popular as well. Uh-huh. But in Soviet Union, you cannot get your hands on it, except for, you know, few here and there. Yeah. So I remember that a friend of mine and I, we got a hold of um, a photograph or two of Modern Talking. I think might have been Beatles as well and, and a few other ones. And we would literally take a photograph of a photograph and then we would develop it and make actual photographs, more more of them, more copies, and we would sell them in school for, you know, whatever we could, which was fun. Not that I made a lot of money doing it, but I remember that as being an entrepreneurial experience. 
Mm-hmm. And then we left Soviet Union. We went through Austria and Italy. I trained myself in street selling there. Mm-hmm. And I make decent money selling whatever other Russian immigrants brought from Soviet Union, you know, to sell, to actually make money. Yep. And we're talking about things such as Russian version of Swiss knife. We're talking about alarm clocks, military watches, microscopes, anything you can imagine. Sure. Including uh, condoms, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> I used to uh, walk streets of Italy screaming anti-bambino, anti-bambino. <laughs> That's too good. Uh, because I didn't know how to say condom. Yeah. So then we came here and you know I, I had all these different jobs and, and, and I was never happy. I somewhere deep inside I knew I wanted my own yeah. business. I just didn't know what kind and I didn't know how to go about it. So finally, in the year of 99, I became a programmer. And now that I knew software side of the uh, computer, uh-huh. I wanted to learn the hardware side of the computer. And I figured I can either read books, which I'm not a big fan of, at least books like that. Mm-hmm. Or I figured I can maybe start a company. And if I get a couple of clients, then I'll be forced to learn how to fix their computers. Yeah, Plus, exactly. I decided to do it with a friend of mine who actually had some more knowledge than I did. Mm-hmm. So we started that and I learned the hardware. And then in year 2002, I lost my last job as a programmer. It was November. And a few months prior to that, my partner went to law school. So he didn't have time for this. And I went fully on my own, uh, repairing computers and setting up networks for people. And a few months after that, probably early spring of 2003, one of my clients said, hey, you know, I'm looking for company folders. And I want something nice. Can you help me find it? Now, I figured I was in a service business, right? Uh And at the end of the day, the way I see it is the more value I can bring to my customer in any which way, the more they can depend on my help, the the better it is for me and for the customer. So I figured, you know, we're talking about 2003. I'm by then somewhat savvy in internet, right? Because I've used it for a couple of years now and I was a programmer. So I figured I can do this. So I started doing the research and I realized that there really is nothing out there that is really significant. And the most vivid memory I have about Soviet Union is that everybody had the same things. (laughs) We're talking about socialism, communism, whatever you want to call it. People don't own anything. Everything is owned by government. There obviously is no competition. There is no reason to, to have color variations, texture variations, none of that. So as the result, as you go from house to house to your friends, right? There might be five different wallpapers out there to begin with, and mm-hmm. your friends will have one of probably one of the two five. or three, yeah. because the other two or three are just so hideous, nobody would want them. <laughs> um, everybody would have, give or take, the same forks and knives and glasses and plates and furniture. And obviously, there was few different variations, but not to the extent where you can really stand out. Yeah. You come in and you're like, oh, okay, so they got version <laughs> A. Model 3, like, yeah. Yeah, that's really all it is. And so as the result in Soviet Union, the clothing was the same way. But the worst part of it all was the people's mindset was yeah. the same way. Standing out, expressing yourself was a wrong thing to do. It was a bad thing to do. Mm. So... When I realized that the folder market in America is pretty much 
Soviet Union style, I figured it probably is my calling. And I decided to change that. Yeah. So well, I said... I sat on a pad. I knew nothing about printing. I knew nothing about graphic design, but I figured I'm going to learn it and I'm going to take care of my customer first and foremost, and I'm going to fill the void that exists. So through numerous mistakes, <laughs> yeah. through numerous mess ups, I uh, figured everything out and I ended up taking care of my client. I got him beautiful beautiful folders mm -hmm. and naturally because he asked for company folders i figured company folders is as good a name as any other mm -hmm. so hence that's where the name of the company came from and from there it was a long struggle because i really didn't know anything about the business running a small computer repair thing right yep. or is one thing it's just you and you know as long as you're nice and you take care of people no matter what you'll be fine yeah. But now that we're talking about a larger operation, oh, and on top of it, I didn't have money, so I had to mm -hmm. borrow it from credit cards, from all sorts of things. So now that it takes more money, it takes more people, it takes more resources, it was totally different ball game. So I, I just kept on learning, and with every new thing I learned, I would just move a step forward. Yeah. Then, you know, then people started joining the organization and uh, gradually we we started growing. We started catching momentum. Then we hit Inc. 5000 list for three years in a row, yeah. won different awards here and there. And uh, yeah, I guess the rest is history. Yeah. Now <laughs> we are strong. We are basically prepared to weather anything and everything that comes our way. Yeah. And most importantly, we are absolute best presentation folder boutique out there. Yeah. And to go more with um, service thing, service most importantly is the mindset, right? Yeah. Um, and I have a, I'm very, very fortunate to have an amazing team of people who, uh, who understand that and who uh, embrace that. So one of the things we do, and I have not seen any print shop out there yet that um, does the same thing. We instituted a lifetime warranty paper products. Interesting. Yeah, several years ago. And basically, the reason we did that was typically when you buy printing, right? We're talking about business cards, brochures, folders, doesn't matter. Printers usually give you seven days, 10 days, maybe some give you two weeks to go through what you bought and, and make sure that it's good, mm -hmm. right? All yeah, good. Yeah. And if something is off, you can let them know, they will replace it, whatever. So now you ordered yourself 50 business cards, that's fine, you can do that. But if you ordered 5,000 presentation folders that came in, what would it be, five, five, 25 boxes, mm -hmm. that becomes a lot of work <laughs> to go through all of them in just a matter of few weeks. So we had an instance where this woman called us who purchased folders nine months earlier. Mm -hmm. And they were foil stamped. And for whatever reason, literally five folders, the actual foil stamping of her logo and whatever else was there was crooked on it. Yeah. Something happened in the machinery. Unfortunately, these things happen. It mm -hmm. wasn't caught in um, going out. Yeah. So she called to, to let us know that. And I can sense in her voice that she didn't think anything would come out of it because so much time went by. Mm -hmm. And I gladly said, oh, my God, ma'am, I apologize. Let me send you new folders. And I sent her 100 new folders. Yeah. And that's where we started thinking that we can't hold our customers 
to that week or two, right, to inspect everything. So we give them a lifetime. I love it. I mean, I don't know how much you get into the sort of the, the scaling up world and, and sort of the tools and the exercises that we do there. But one of the things that I do as a business coach is, is help people with something called a brand promise and a guarantee. And this is a great example of a brand promise and guarantee. I don't know, is that, was that conscious when you developed this or this just kind of happened naturally for you? It kind of happened naturally because I just wanted people to know that don't sweat the small stuff. Yeah. We provide quality, amazing product, better than anybody else. Use it. Yeah. And if, God forbid, a few of them turn out to be bad, just put them to the side. And when you're done with everything you have and you're ready to reorder or not, however this yeah. works out, just call us or email us and tell us, hey, you know, I ordered this 5, 10, 50, 100,000 folders from you yeah. and a few of them were off. Yeah. We'll redo it for you. We'll give you a discount in the next order. We'll yeah. refund the money. However, this works out, right? Based yeah. on the situation. Yeah. And really, peace of mind is the most important thing. Yeah. Well, we talk about um, the, the power of a good brand promise and guarantee. The promise really helps you articulate what your position is in the market. What, how are you positioning yourself, differentiating yourself in the market? And, and clearly, you've chosen equality to be a big factor in how you compete in the market. And the guarantee is what the pain you're willing to suffer if you don't deliver on that on that uh, you know on that differentiation and so like I said this is a great example of, of, of taking something that everyone else does as you know like oh you get a week you get you know two weeks and you just amp it up and say no you get forever and it just really helps remove hesitation in terms of the purchasers uh, decision to buy it basically makes it a no-brainer saying well look these you know everyone else gives me two weeks these people give me a lifetime to guarantee why would I not do that, right? It just makes it super clear to the buyer of who they should go with. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm curious your story. I mean, there's a couple of interesting things there for me, just having worked with a lot of CEOs and kind of heard heard these stories and understand how people get into businesses. I mean, I think in this case where going into this business without actually knowing a whole lot about how the process actually works, like the printing technology and the folder technology and all the things that go into it, is my guess forced you to to really focus on the service side of this because because you didn't have the technical capabilities it was like what you could add was a really high degree of service around this product so that you could really work with customers to understand what they need how to how to make that a pleasant experience effective experience for them i mean do you think that you're i'm curious how you feel in terms of how you've approached this business not being a technical expert in printing do you think that forced you to focus on that service side of things or how do you like what's your kind of take on how that evolved and why you've been successful so the way i always saw it is i only have one asset and that is myself yeah and at the end of the day I sold myself because I figured that if people like me, they will do business with me. If people don't like me, they will not. So service was always the most important thing for me to make sure that my clients are happy. And guess what? People trusted me. And the moment people trust me, it becomes my responsibility to not break their trust. Mm -hmm. I cannot promise that I will not make a mistake. Granted, now I pretty much could because yeah. <laughs> no, I get it. In the beginning. something new changes, but you know, yeah. everything I know now, it's yeah. much harder to make mistakes. Yeah. But back then I didn't. So I figured I cannot promise not to make mistakes. But the one thing I could always promise and I always did is I always took care of those mistakes, yeah. which was the most important part. And people knew that no matter what, they will be taken care of. Yeah. And that was my 
reputation and still is for the whole company. Yeah. How have you communicated that, that out to the company? Like, or, or I guess, how have you been able to make sure that's consistent throughout the company? Is this about who you've hired, how you've hired them, how you train people? Like, what do you think has allowed you to make sure that that is that continues to be true as the company has grown, as you brought on people, as, as you've expanded the operations? It starts with job description. Yeah. Believe it or not, we usually take a lot of time to create job descriptions to understand what, what we're looking for to the point where if we rehiring for the same position that we had, whether we're adding on more or you know replacing somebody, we still revisit and we still update the job description to make it as accurate and as current as it possibly could be. And then we vigorously interview people. We test everybody. Our hiring process is not quick. It's not fast in terms of our meetings and you know, things we do. Mm-hmm. But through that, find really good people who really know what they're doing and who are really feed our culture. And once those people join our company, we onboard them. We make sure they know what our brand is and what it stands for. And, and then we leave our core values to the point where every meeting we have in the company, the first thing we do is we, we all share who in the company, you only name one person, exhibited one of our core values uh-huh. since the last meeting. Yeah. And that just keeps people reminded to always stand brand, live the values, live our mission, purpose, and, and everything else. Yeah. I'm curious what in your hiring process, when do you know that someone might be a good technical fit or a skill fit, but not a good cultural fit? Like, talk to me about like either a case or like from your point of view, when do you know? How do you know? What information do you gather that allows you to see that, hey, we may want this person's skill set. They're not a good cultural fit and we shouldn't hire them. Like, how does that process actually play out for you? That process is relatively easy. Okay. And at the same time, hard. (laughs) (laughs) And the reason being is because it takes a pre-work to make it easy later. So we spend a lot of time developing our core values. And at the end of the day, we came up with four. And our core values talk about how we improve, how we interact, how we contribute, and how we work, right? So our first core value is develop daily. That is how we improve ourselves day in, day out. We seek knowledge, opportunities, and wisdom to improve ourselves every single day. Our second value is elevate others, and that is how we interact with each other. We interact in an open, honest, confident, and supportive manner, cultivating growth and improvement in the people around us. Our third value is actually add value, and that is how we contribute. We use our thoughts, words, and actions to add value to our goals, projects, and teams. And our last value is deliver excellence. And that talks about how we work. Our unwavering belief in excellence guides our actions in a flexible, proactive, transparent, and accountable way. So when we interview people, right, we basically check their responses and the stories they share against our values. If anything they say goes against our values, then most likely they're not good fit. Yeah, they're not a good fit. And how did you come up with the values? I mean, was this was this uh, hiking to the top of a mountain and contemplating and meditating? Was it uh, a meeting that you did? 
How, how did you go about sort of identifying, developing, evolving the values that you just listed out? Well, you know, they say the most important thing is R&D, right? Mm-hmm. Research and duplicate. <laughs> yeah. So we figured it's easy. You just look at other companies and yeah. get the best from them. So we started doing that and quickly realized that if we go down that road, <laughs> we will not have our core values. We're going to have somebody else's. Yeah. And we work very different from most other companies. Mm-hmm. So we scratched that. So then we figured, let's just put all the words we can come up with as a group on the paper that we think might represent us. So we had this running document that everybody shared and everybody contributed to, and we came up with, oh, Bruce, <laughs> probably well over 100 different words that represented us. I'm sure. Luckily, some of those words were similar in nature, so we were able to combine them, right? And we ended up with probably a dozen or a little more like really, truly things that, that could represent us. And that was too much because you can't remember that. So then we were thinking further. This took months. Yeah. And then we were thinking further and, and we, it came down to the fact is that what do we do? We work, we all contribute to our company, we interact in a certain way, and it's important for all of us to improve. So we identified those four points, and then all these different words that we had written down, we started combining them, combining them, combining them, refining them, and we ended up with our core values. And then we had an official meeting where we talked about core values, talked about what they represent and what it means to us, and we, so to speak, soft launched them. Mm-hmm. And we all agreed that we will take three months and try those core values. And we lived them for three months. And after three months, we had another meeting and we said, hey, you know, that was good. But there was, I don't remember exactly what it was, but one of them was not quite perfect. So we changed one core value and that's it. The rest is history. Yeah. And have you, um, I mean, you mentioned that you do some recognition on it on a regular basis. What else do you do to make sure that you're, you know, sort of infusing your day to day, your week to week with with sort of discussion or recognition of your core values, making sure that you're living them day by day? Recognition probably is the biggest one because we have a company wide meeting, but then different teams have their own meetings. And Mm -hmm. this recognition happens everywhere. Yeah. And but another thing is in order to be able to recognize somebody, right, you have to notice it. You have to know about it. And in order to notice, you have to constantly think about it. Yeah. So people are constantly on the lookout of trying to catch somebody doing something amazing so they can mention it later. And once you get to that point, it's it's almost unstoppable. Yeah. Yeah. It really kind of fuels the process. Yeah. Um, I'm curious strategically. I mean, it, you know, one of the things I love about your story is, you know, it's, it's clear that you've adapted as an entrepreneur to whatever sort of context and situation you've been in, right? So uh, sort of take the situation at hand, find opportunity, find needs, capitalize on those for providing products and services, figure out how to sell them, you know, build businesses where there's an opportunity. As you've kind of gotten into the sort of domain, the niche that you're in around the, the presentation folders, company folders, how have you kind of managed the I'll call it the the entrepreneurial tendency to chase shiny objects. You know, have you seen new opportunities or areas for expansion or new potential businesses? How do you keep yourself focused on really continuing to evolve and optimize your business versus, you know, being pulled into being uh, seduced into new business opportunities? How, How do you kind of manage that, you know, that that area of focus so that you can be successful in scaling, scaling the current business? In a very hard way. <laughs> or do you? Maybe you don't. <laughs> 
<laughs> Maybe uh, you've got three other businesses on the side that we don't talk about. <laughs> in the very, it's not three. It was actually 12 or 13. Oh, God, yeah. yeah. So I started, when I started Company Folders, I, uh, because I was a programmer, right? Yeah. And, and that, I was also, I sold myself as well, but I had the programmer thing. And while I didn't really like programming much while I had a job, the moment I didn't have a job and I didn't have to do it, I guess I enjoyed it a bit more. So I put all these different folders that I was able to create on, online. And that's where the company folders.com came from, the website. And then I started learning SEO as well. And I started doing my own search engine optimization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, back then, in 2003, we we're talking about discussion boards. We're talking about forums. We're talking about things that young people have never heard of now. And through that, I actually thought that I'm really, really good SEO guy on top of it. So I started 12 or 13 websites <laughs> yep. over, over a few years. And um, we're talking about, obviously, folders. But we're also talking about, I had a website selling um, sculptures and wine bottle holders made of metal. I sold Woodstock memorabilia, Titanic memorabilia, um, <laughs> all sorts of other things. And um, when people were answering phones, they, they had to be very vague. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> Thank you for calling. How can I help you? And then depending on what people say, they would know which oh company gosh. they're calling on. That's too good. Uh, and, and on and on and on. So what happened was most of those companies or those websites, they were never, like I realized that I don't have enough money, I guess, to, to do either one properly, right? To really set each one as a separate company because everybody was doing a little bit for every one company. So I sold them. I sold them between 2011 and 2012. I sold everything I had mm -hmm. and um, just stayed with the folders because folders was the real, true, you know, niche feeling opportunity. And then I, don't get me wrong, I, I, I still get the shiny object syndrome. <laughs> yeah. On daily basis, but um, Steve Jobs, I don't remember exactly how the phrase went, yeah. but something along the lines of, I'm proud of things we did, but then he said, I am even more proud of things we did not do, yeah. or opportunities we did not explore. Yeah. And ever since we got rid of all these different websites and companies that I had, the company folders just started growing faster, better, stronger, bigger because everybody had more time and dedication to, to just one project. Yeah. And um, once you live through that and you see the result, it's really becomes much harder to start something else. Yeah, yeah. Anything that you've had to do as CEO in terms of kind of evolving yourself in terms of you know, your leadership style, your area of focus, how you approach things, you know, as the company has grown, as you've really focused on scaling, I mean, what, what have been some of the changes you've had to make or challenges you've had to kind of overcome as a leader? I have a morning routine, which I think is extremely important to have. And my morning routine consists of the first thing I do is I go for a walk. Well, first I drink a lot of water and then I go for a walk, mm -hmm. usually about an hour. And during my walk, I listen to books, all nonfiction. Most of them are business books about marketing, branding, strategy, being a CEO, being this, being that, and sometimes they mix in biographies of people I admire. So that kind of 
constantly keeps me evolving with new knowledge, new things to to try and, and do. On top of that, as you mentioned earlier, I am in EO Detroit, mm-hmm. and through EO, we have amazing learning opportunities, and I have learned a lot through EO and from learning events from people. I had a lot of things that I had to overcome and still have things I have to overcome that I'm working unconsciously. But I think the most important one is the ego and being able to remain calm. Entrepreneurship, as you know yourself, is is a journey between being the happiest you ever were and within <laughs> three seconds yeah. be full of fear and disappointment and uh, thinking that you are the worst human being that ever walked the the earth and then literally 40 minutes later you might be the happiest ever thinking that you are absolutely the best out there right yeah just because of all the craziness that's going on so learning how to navigate those emotions and keeping them at bay is really really important at least for me it was Uh, and working on my mindset to, I always knew that embracing change is very important to do, but actually doing it and living it is a bit harder. Yeah, that's no, <laughs> uh, so I made that a practice, yeah. and uh, and yeah, mindset, ego. Yeah, I always find these things. Are, it's easier. It's easy to understand them. It's hard to do them. So I know. I know the challenge of entrepreneurs having you know learning and take all this information in and reading the books and going to the presentations. And applying it is always where the challenge lies. So I, I applaud you for for not only you know seeking the knowledge, but actually applying it in the business. If people want to find out more about you and about Company Folders, what's the best way to get that information? Companyfolders.com is our website. Mm-hmm. That's where you can see all the products and services that we offer. We also have a blog, and you can find the link to that in the footer of the website. Our blog offers amazing resources for graphic designers for marketing professionals and for people who want to do it themselves and learn about it or at least learn enough to where they can ask somebody else to do it for them also in the same bottom of the website there is a link to the page about me and my story and uh, my email address is vladimir at companyfolders.com and i'm really happy to hear from anyone and everyone i'm very happy to help people to be a solid resource so if somebody has a graphic design related question or a marketing branding question, I am more than happy to help with that also. Great. I'll make sure that the links and everything are on the show notes so people can click through and get those. Vladimir, thank you so much for taking time today. I always love talking to entrepreneurs who have who've grown interesting businesses, have kind of evolved themselves as entrepreneurs and as leaders. So this is a great conversation. I really appreciate the time. Thank you, Bruce. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.